from the outset, while we were, you know, taking taking the precautions that the government really demanded of us at first, we we weren't gonna we weren't gonna say to our people, this is this is God's will for you because because I I'm not I'm that's way I'm not God. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Thanks. Matt, you're just home from clergy conference. I've got convocation and synod this weekend. You got any tips for surviving clergy gatherings? Uh, don't go to any voluntary things. <laughs> do the least, the least amount you possibly do. Well, y'all at League Addis speak. That's awesome. Like your bishop really keeps knocking it out of the park with your, with your convocation speak. Didn't you have Rod Dreher last year? Uh, yeah, he was our synod, synod last yeah. year. And, uh, um, I forget who he announced you were having this. Did you meet, yeah, he does. He did does you meet Lee personally? I, I've never met him, but I've been reading him since, I uh, since college. Yeah. I've, I've known Lee for a number of years. He, when he, he talked at one of the synods that was here at our church and he, we spent a considerable amount of time with him. He's a funny guy. If you get to know is him, he? he's, yeah, he's really pretty personable, interesting. He, you know, he's like a little hobbit. I mean, so y'all are just like, like you're like a little leprechaun on one side yeah, and a yeah, hobbit yeah. on the other. Just like yeah, yeah, doing Irish jig dances. I could see how this. <laughs> uh, that's well, good. I'm glad. I, I've been reading. He was he was a staunch defender of um, sort of you know classic uh, Anglican understanding of justification by faith back during the. N.T. Wright, um, sort of new perspective wars, which were a lot of man. Heat, very remember those days? New perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was when Federal Vision and all this stuff too, yeah. and everyone was anathematizing each other. And then you had the true, true, um, re- truly reformed. You know, it was like if you had a, if you had like a um, outline of the stencil of Jesus in somewhere in your home, <laughs> you were you were violating the second <laughs> commandment and and it send everyone to hell. I mean, it was uh, um, that's the type of Protestant I went over to Europe uh, as. That's that's where I ran into, and then I ran you know headfirst into the high church or conservative high church Lutherans, you know, the LCMS guys, and got like shredded through them you know i was like like pulled through the looking glass into an entirely different world so it's like you know uh, to some of our friends who back here I, I know it was quite concerning you know someone reminded me at one point i said the only thing you need in a church is a is a pulpit you know you don't and no stained glass no windows like just a white room like the holodeck <laughs> and then it came back you know like uh, chanting things and possibly wearing <laughs> chasubles and you know looking more like Matt and this sort of high high church popery and um, so any rate well Lee I hope I hope to meet him someday if you're listening which I'm sure he does you know he checks he checks in with us to make sure that he, he doesn't need any correction I'm sure and then uh, <laughs> and then goes on <laughs> well a few weeks ago we talked about Pharisees in light of Phil Vischer's contention that Jesus's problem with the Pharisees was that they were too focused on keeping the law, which he suggested that they successfully did to a T and not focused enough on love. We discussed that episode. uh, That was episode 120. If you want to go back and listen, actually the Pharisees weren't keeping the law to a T. They were in fact adding to the law, the traditions of men, as Jesus calls them, and then binding the consciences of the people with these new rules that were not actually from God. 
Now, it seems to many online, at least as I see it, that a modern day version of this has been happening over the last couple of years, especially as regards COVID things, vaccinations, masking, etc. We have these, uh, shall we say, Christian influencers, pastors, writers, more who took the law of God, in this case, love thy neighbor, and put something on top of it get vaccinated, wear a mask, do A, B, and C, in the same way that the Pharisees might have put, don't pick the tips of grain from the stalk and snack on them on top of remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So now that we know more years later about the efficacy of vaccinations and other things and that they were never even intended to or tested to see if they would stop transmission of COVID, those traditions of men ring a little hollow. So guys, how should someone who has erroneously bound the consciences of people respond to that realization? And how can we, as the church and as normal people in it, be careful about distinguishing between the law of God and the traditions of men? I, mean, I can suggest how not to respond. Mm. <laughs> I'm getting seen, heat. I, seen mean, I need articles. to back away from this conversation yeah. already, it turns out. Like, like, <laughs> well, we've like, seen a few articles I'm not already. Sure. Like, well, there's uh, something, someone I wrote who forget who it was, but I think a, a woman in the Atlantic. Um, at least yeah, well, that's the one yes. that that, yeah. that we're we're referencing. She wants to declare vaccine amnesty, amnesty because right. you know we were all in a fog and everyone was everyone nobody was confused. Knew. That's right. No, we just it's... we were just shooting randomly and like I'm sorry you got <laughs> shot, but I mean you know what were we supposed to do but just fire indiscriminately into in, in a 360 degree way for 10 hours? Like what were we supposed to do? So let's just let's. It's, it reminds me of that scene from Monty Python. Remember where he 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 breaks into the wedding and kills everyone? <laughs> he says and then he says let's not argue and bicker over who killed who. You know it's like. I mean, I had to watch my dearly beloved friend, uh, Ted Duvall, Father Ted Duvall at Christchurch, um, watch his father, his beloved father, die from a distance. I know I'm not alone in this, um, uh, in a nursing home um, and, and, and watched him walk through this. Uh, unbelievable. And then the, the, the wedding was, I mean, the wedding, the funeral uh, was limited and it was, um, you know, it was, it was unbelievable to watch, to walk through these things. You know, they keep saying, watch what, this is what they took away from you. You know, this is what they, this is what, I mean, I went to Peter Moore's funeral of the blessed memory in St. Michael's cathedral or St. Michael's Charleston, excuse me, downtown. It has like 40 people on it. You know, 40 people made the inside list and plexiglass everywhere. And everyone's, you know, in pods and all the stuff. And, you know, there was something like 15,000 people watched it online. I mean, there would have been a block around the, it would have been a line around the block and, and all for what, you know, while at the same time people were, were mocking and flaunting all of these um, regulations in private and just observing them in public, because there was this entire, particularly in the Christian world, this entire traditions of men that were being laid over the um, church and without any question or any pushback. Uh, we talked about all this during the time, but it's, unbelievable to me that there has been no well repentance you know no like i'm sorry like i was really really wrong like i really wish i hadn't done it and i did and please forgive me now that's a christian statement but this like well we you know everyone makes mistakes so get over it it's like well maybe, yeah. yeah well maybe it would help just to remember what it was like when it first broke open i mean back in what, march 2020 2020s when it, i think the restrictions first started kicking in and um i know for my own sake, I didn't, I had no reason to necessarily believe that at that point anyway, that the thing was not as serious as they were saying it was going to be. Um, and so uh, everybody, yeah, most everyone shut down uh, for a while. And um, 
I, but I also knew, you know, I started it, it very soon after the, the first, second week of the shutdowns, you, you began to hear other voices saying, well, the, the, the steps that we're being told to take aren't necessary. Here's the, what's really going on. And I am, a, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have a degree in medicine. I don't, ha- I don't, I don't know how to assess. I personally don't know how to assess medical claims one versus the other. I, I, I didn't know whether uh, Dr. Fauci was right or the doctors who were saying he was wrong were right. I had no way of assessing that. And because I have no way of assessing that, I, I knew, and I think most, most pastors knew, okay, you tread lightly here because you're going to have people, you're going to have people coming down on both sides of this thing and they're your parishioners. And uh, what you want to do is not, not take any steps that would tell one person who's come down on one side that he or she has, you know, therefore uh, transgressed the law of God. <laughs> Not even just wrong, but in sin. That's right, right. right. And so, 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 you know, we, we treated it. We said, okay, we, we're just going to treat this like adiaphora. We're going to treat this like, you know, whether you want to drink wine or not, or or, or uh, uh, something that the God that God does not deal with in scripture is called adiaphora, or something he doesn't give us explicit command or um, prescription for in scripture is called adiaphora or a non-essential thing. And about with the, when those matters, with regard to those matters, the church is not authorized to make laws. We can't tell people God wants you to do this unless we can point to a passage in the Bible right. where God That's says- That's article six <laughs> and article 20. We have, we have <laughs> right, right, right. Do this. So so I think, I mean, from the outset, while we were you know, taking taking the precautions that the government really demanded of us at first, we we weren't gonna we weren't gonna say to our people, this is this is God's will for you because because I I'm not I'm that's way I'm not God, and even if I were trained as a medical professional and could assess the claims with some kind of professional um, acumen, it it's still we're we're dealing with a category here that is beyond that is beyond our authority to rule uh, whether someone is is sinning or not. I think whether someone's an open rebellion or not. I think we could definitely say what we personally believe, but then we have to leave it up to the consciences of those who, who left or who, who on the other side. We, and in my church, maybe your church is the same. In my church, we had people who thought that wearing the mask was was tantamount to you know, the mark of the beast. They weren't saying that explicitly, but very close to that. Um, and we have people who said, like you were mentioning a minute ago, if you don't wear the mask, you don't love your neighbor. So we had to find some way to 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 have both sides fine, keep their convictions, but lay down their arms and and recognize that we're both part of the same body and that this issue maybe it's an it's an important issue, but it's not one over which the church should divide or anyone should be anathematized. Yeah, I mean, I was grateful the way that we we were able to navigate it because it was complicated. And obviously we we were we were podcasting through all that kind of working it out together a little bit, but, um, you know, as when, when we were at Christchurch, you know, as soon as, as soon as like Home Depot started opening up and people were going to Home Depot, we were like, that's it. Like that's there. You know, I mean, obviously I was, I was just like everyone else. And I thought the bubonic plague was coming uh, or possibly in which case, you know, one out of three people was going to die. And, you know, Lord of mercy. And here we go. Um, we've been here before, but I didn't want to go through it myself and here, you know, and then all of a sudden it's even as people started getting it and recovering or, and people started, you know, you begin to realize that that is, unless you just were lived in a hermetically sealed, you know, like a space capsule that it was impossible to wash your hands enough or to wear your mask the right way or did, and, 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 
was like, well, we need to, we need to figure out how to live with this thing now. And it was at that point where I think that there was a decision made by some, particularly in the, for lack of a better word, evangelical influencers or Christian influencers who decided to um, side with the most sort of vocal and uh, as it turns out, radical um, interpretation of what should be done with respect to vaccines and masking and lockdowns and things. And, and start shaming pastors who were opening their church back up or start um, shaming Christians who were had genuine questions about, I mean, I had genuine questions about giving my own children, my, 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 um, you know, young children, certain vaccines. I mean, you, you know, you should read through this huge list of things they're giving your children and have a considered opinion with your doctor, uh, you know, but that was the you know, Eliza, for instance, was pregnant during the, the height of it. You know, that was where pastors got into it. And, and I think the ones that that were were outspoken, vocal, and um, actually binding consciences in ways that we're not given to should ask people to forgive them. You know, for, should ask people. I mean, people have have had vaccine adverse reactions. People have had developmental difficulties with young children wearing masks. You know, people have have. Um, I mean, there have been problems with it. And yes, we did not know. And we are graceful people and you could overstate things. But when you overstate and have made a mistake, it turns out as a leader, well, that's called, um, you know, you, you, we, we understand general, you know, that you, you thought you were supposed to go to this coordinate and drop a bomb, but you went to that coordinate and dropped a bomb. And so, um, you know, we're gonna have to remove you of your, we have to take your badge and gun at this point, because you have showed gross negligence and the leadership you were given to, in this case, in a Christian way, shepherd the, the consciences of your people and to bind them and to, to shame them. Uh, as we saw, you know, for years, and particularly in light of what we now know is unconscionable. And I think the people that are being screenshotted and, and called to account are, I think it's, it's, it, it's a good thing. I mean, repentance is a good thing. You know, we don't, we don't need to, to heap coals on people who have made a legitimate mistake, but where there was such contempt and scorn and now such little seeming accountability is, is a real problem. And I think that, you know, people are, well, it's not, you know, it's not a big deal to move on. It's like, well, not so fast. Yeah, it's interesting. The very same voices who are are keen to point out the white evangelical uh, clutch for power and uh, the desire on the on the part of white male evangelicals to to uh, use politics as an avenue to power. They're the same folks who are teaming up with uh, was it Francis Collins and and being co opted by the government to to exercise the pulpit in a in a means to to bully. Um, to bully people into into wearing the mask, these people were were seduced, I think, by being allied with the political power and and becoming the court prophets of the yeah. of the COVID regime. A regime, right. right? Exactly. So then, the, and so and then and then turning around to lecture the rest of the of Christendom about power and, and lumping all of the objections into one blanket uh, sort of ignorant fundamentalist, you know, uh, science denying category, you know, you had actual, like we had in our, we have in our um, community, you know, very thoughtful, actual medical doctors who had done all the research and things who were, who were having just legitimate questions as there were in the national scene too. And, you know, these voices were, were silenced and mocked um, even by these, these um, for Christian influencers, again, for lack of a better word, 
And, you know, that was hard to watch just as a thoughtful thinking person. Like, listen, you know, we're not, we're, we're, maybe there's some people out there, tinfoil hat, literally, who think that the vaccine is some sort of alien DNA that's going to turn them into that, that thing from, um, from V, you know, uh, the old TV show, you know, but like most of us are just sort of want to have a little bit of brake pumping when you start talking about all of these things, all of these things that affect us physically and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and weigh them you know, weigh the relative risk versus the positive gain and the, and the, and the opportunity cost for lack of a better word to shutting down businesses and churches and stop worshiping for, for 18 months. You know, most of well, South I mean, Carolina kind of denied, it seemed like, you know, I yeah. drove from South Carolina, North Carolina, and it was like driving from like South Korea to North Korea <laughs> at one point. I was like, Whoa. I was like, don't worry, we'll just stop at the bathroom as soon as we get over, uh, you know, into Charlotte. And it was like a ghost town, you know, you had to um, show your papers. <laughs> so, the mask is the modern flattery and it's it's what for, for the left i mean where you, you wear your mask today it's like wearing your phylacteries long and you're uh and you're you're just demonstrating your your piety i mean these that's what that's what i think a lot of it turned into i mean maybe maybe in the beginning some of these people were pushing you know love your neighbor by wearing a mask because they really believed it but but you know uh, people still wearing their masks now and who are leaders uh either it's extreme irrational unmitigated fear um, or it's check out our virtue, and uh, I, I tend to think it's I tend, tend to think it's a latter. I mean, think about some of the rhetoric. I mean, at the, at the forefront of the of the who can be the, the the best sycophant for the government was David French. I mean, and and his rhetoric was was beyond was way beyond what a lot of other people's were. I mean, I think it was every Sunday he released a. An article uh, lambasting Christ's bride for all kinds of things. He does that still, but during the COVID thing, especially, he was uh, linking anti-masking. Um, well, I mean, I'll read, I'll read a quote from him from, from Twitter: "Anti-masking further exposes the darkness in parts of the right. It's such a small thing to show love of neighbor, but that small thing was and is too much for all." Too many who claim to be pro pro life will no never know how many lives anti mask sentiment costs. Again, it's such a small thing, and masking always was a way to make reopening safer and faster. I mean, so you're not only are you not loving your neighbor, you're killing people. That's right. It's you're very effective. People. It's a very effective uh, yeah. rhetorical tool. If, right. if you disagree <laughs> with me, you are a murderer, and particularly of old vulnerable people. It's like well. Uh, you know, that's, that's quite effective for the tender conscience. I mean, you know, that's just how it is. And we are supposed to protect people from that. You know, I mean, it's like we said, like we, and that's why I'm grateful for bishops, you know, our bishop, Mark Lawrence, before he retired, I think, you know, I mean, maybe in retrospect, we could all say things a little bit different here, there, or the other, but in general it was masterful the way he navigated this, you know, he didn't, there were a couple of weeks where as from Bishop, he took the hit and we all shut down. We went virtual for Easter for goodness sakes. And that was sort of a, a standard, you know, there were some people, I mean, I was upset about that, but I was also scared. I mean, so there we go. And so this is just where we were, but the moment um, people started, as I said before, going back to home Depot, people started moving. He gave the freedom for various churches to open back up in whatever ways they sought to to be as you know distance and as as safe as possible so we kept we we unfortunately i, I was i was telling i got called here to st luke's we at christ church were the second church to open up only to st luke's so i was like mm -hmm. they, i thought we were going to be the first i was really advocating for that and then you know some churches still remain some rain virtual some had mass some had mass as i said before even to a day but it was it was a Christian way of dealing with a very complicated and heavy, heavy thing, which was that 
you know, we are going to recognize that there will be disagreements on this, that there are thoughtful, intelligent, prayerful Christian people who will disagree, that there are conflicting realities or at least conflicting um, uh, reports out there that we are just now hearing and they're, they're being disseminated. And finally, individual people have to have responsibility and take uh, some responsibility for themselves and particularly fathers for their families. And so we're going to recognize all that the way Christian people do. And that there was this group of people who sided with the, you know, the, the, the petty tyrants of our government, um, you know, these sort of unelected bureaucrats that all of a sudden had the keys to the local skate park uh, and that they filled with sand or shut down, you know, had policemen arresting people who were uh, pulling their masks down to, to, you know, have a smoke or something. It was like they were siding with them over against the, the sort of political and, and Christian witness throughout the ages, you know, as we have tons of resources as to how do Christians deal with um, not only pandemics, but also how uh, we, we do, in fact, uh, navigate complex uh, sort of societal problems from a freedom of a Christian perspective. And none of that was brought to bear. It was simply scorn, uh, mockery and uh, down punching, as it were, to the people who had the audacity to say, well, you know what, we're not actually, we're more afraid of missing church and losing our fellowship as believers than we are of getting COVID. Um, and that's eventually what it came down to. You know, our church was full immediately when we came back of the people who were the most physically compromised. You know, we had the the people who were the the frailest and the and the sickest were the ones who who were beating down the doors for us to open up because they realized what they had lost or had been losing was the the means of grace and the hope of glory. Yeah. And and then the people who just said, well, you know, that, you, you know, churches are non-essential, but strip clubs and marijuana dispensaries and, you know, Home Depot and places you can go shop. Well, those are really important, but these churches, you know, they're secondary importance. And we didn't have enough pastors stand up to that. You know, I'm grateful we did in our diocese, but there are churches all over the country that, that were cowled into submission by these voices who as of now have yet to apologize and to, and to repent. And I think, I think that they hopefully will have lost any influence that they once thought they had. They'll remain influential among the non-Christian, unbelieving uh, society that wants them to be, you know, more Christians to be, if, if more Christians were like those that write for the Atlantic, then it would be better, but better, best would be if no one was a Christian at all. That's basically the mindset, you know, and so they'll still have influence with them. But in terms of your average thoughtful, faithful believer who was who has endured this mockery, at some point you just say, "Well, you know, I, your voice—you've you, abdicated the space in my head. You no longer are in there, and I don't care what you say." And I hope that that's the the outcome of some of this for these people. You know, book—they can write books or whatever. But I hope they're—you know—the people that once trusted them are no longer are not going to, unless they were some reconciliation. You know, I mean, we are forgiving people, but this contempt that was shown and then the the uh, the sort of obstinacy to admit any uh, complicity in this is just, um, well, it's hard to watch, frankly. There are two ways I'd like to broaden this conversation out from just COVID, because I think that there are some things that we can think about more broadly. One is the idea, which I think is a pretty clearly biblical idea of human fallibility, <laughs> the idea that uh, the Bible teaches us that we are not always right and that we can operate with some some level of humility there. Um, so that's one. I wanted to ask you guys about that. And two, I wanted to ask you guys about this supposed distinction that I'm seeing between forgiveness 
and asking for repentance. I'm, I'm hearing that, well, why, why don't you just forget this, this appeal from the Atlantic, for instance, for amnesty is like, don't, don't ask me to repent or tell you that I did something wrong. Just forgive me. And I wondered if there's a way for Christians to balance the two, to be forgiving, as you just said, JD, but at the same time to ask somebody to admit that they did something wrong. I mean, I don't think that you can have an actual, no, now there are a number of things in our relationship to God that we know we, we will never be able to confess because we just don't know. <laughs> We're just, you know, we send so many times every day, <laughs> that if the forgiveness from God required us confessing every single thing that we did wrong, we would, that's all we'd be doing all day. We'd just be like, I confess this. And then one second later, we have to confess something else and go every all day, we'd just be confessing. So when we're talking about forgiveness from God, of course, those things, we can't possibly be expected to, to confess everything. We know that we're just kind of given forgiveness by we, Jesus because we do have a general part. confession though. Yeah. Yeah. We have, yeah. Right. So we, and, and we confess, um, and we confess, and you should confess those things that you are aware of. Um, when it comes to interpersonal relationships, relationships between people, though, I mean, I, I don't know of any, I don't know of any way to have re- a genuine reconciliation if the party who has who has caused harm won't acknowledge that, won't say, okay, I I may I was wrong to do this to you, and there's I I I, I can't take it back, but I, I wish there was something I could. If there's something I can do to make up for it now, I'll do that please forgive me without that there's there the other party can certainly you know as an act of grace forgive in the heart and and, and not carry the bitterness around um but there can't really be reconciliation there can't really be a, a rejoining of the, of the two parties and that's the same thing here you you have people who, who spent to the course of two years you know advocating for um the the government to take away rights from people who who were disagreeing with them on on masks and vaccines who were i mean i even read people who are uh rejoicing over the deaths of people who weren't vaxxed and and and, and that sort of thing I mean, unless there's an actual confession that not only should we go on and make peace, but no reason. Well, we need you to forgive us because we were wrong. We said we said these things; they weren't true. Even if we were right about the science, some of the things that we said were brutal and cruel. Uh, please, uh, and with some things we did were awful. Please forgive us. Apart from that, there can't be any forgiveness. And I also think there's like long-term consequences. I'm not sure if you, sure if you saw uh, the thread by Hans Fien. It's uh, he's a Lutheran pastor. He's a, he does the Lutheran. Um, Lutheran satire. Uh, satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's saying, look, if you if you were among the most radical of the pro-vaxxing, pro-masking people who were who were, you know, you know, trolling your neighbors to see if they're compliant and being the proverbial Karen, you should give up your you should give up your voting rights because because you've 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 just re- you just revealed that you have no ability to act to act responsibly in the public sphere. So uh, you can be forgiven, of course, but one of the consequences of your actions is you're no longer going to be a voting citizen. Well, that's I love pro- that. yeah. Well, well, that that's precisely the question. Yeah. It's, it's a responsibility and accountability. I mean, this right. is where you know forgiveness. Um, ultimate forgiveness, Christians, you know, can throw themselves at the end of a life lived wantonly and with incredible abandon at the end of their lives on the mercies of God and Christ and and be confidently assured of his mercy and forgiveness to them in the next. I mean, this is the radical message of the gospel. That being said, this side of heaven, we all have various spheres of responsibility and influence that we we have a responsibility to shepherd and exercise. And these public leaders 
you know, I'm not even talking about the the uh, ones elected. I mean, that's a whole the the, the political failures are, are legion, but within the church in particular, you know, you assumed a mantle of responsibility at your ordination, at your elevation, you're a pastor, a deacon, whatever it is you are, you're you're a Christian intellectual, and you you misspoke, you overspoke, you you inadvertently bound consciences, even you made a mistake. Well, your mistake cost people their jobs, their their social standing, but it, it brought pain and sorrow and suffering in areas where it would not have had you not made such a mistake. So therefore, inadvertent or not, you are responsible. You are the responsible part. I mean, think about biblical justice. I mean, there, there are categories in Levit- Leviticus for your escaped ox, not uh, goring someone else. You know, that doesn't mean how could you possibly be held accountable? Well, it wasn't my ox that gored the person who was yours. And so your, and so again, there, they make uh, allowances for the fact that there was an accident. And so it wasn't like unmet, uh, you know, first degree premeditated cold-blooded murder, but there's still, there's still an accountability, even in uh, the extreme case of accidents, which is not what we're talking about here. There were people, particularly on towards the end, who um, were persisting in this scorn and public shaming, even when, you know, the majority of the developed world, even, you know, places in, in overseas in Europe uh, were starting to question the, the, the necessity of all these boosters of the, of the, um, you know, con- still wearing masks of all of this stuff that were the sort of the extremes. And you still had people um, in lecturing Christians in particular from the Bible, using the Bible in a very authoritative way to try to get them to fall in line with the sort of the most extreme fringes of the of the sort of COVID reaction. And and those people, like I said before, the responsibility that the what, what should happen at this point, as I said before, and I think I tweeted, somebody tweeted this, I retweeted it, but it should be more like a bankruptcy. You know, it shouldn't be like a like the reaction to this should be like a moral and and sort of authoritative bankruptcy for some of these people. Like do you not, we don't want to destroy your lives. We don't this is we understand that you made a mistake. Like you went all in on, you know, you you had all your stock in Wachovia in 2007 and you know things happen and you know God bless you, but you're no longer what like you 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 have you, you don't have any of that influence anymore. You, you, you are, you have, you can now go do something else. You can be, I don't know, like a, uh, you can lead spiritual retreats or something, but you cannot, you're not speaking four or two large swaths of American Christianity anymore because you had an opportunity and to exercise authority and responsibility and you failed. I mean, that's just where you are. I mean, I think, you know, I don't see it any differently than a pastor that falls. I mean, thank God that hasn't happened to us, but in the unlikely and, um, you know, unfortunate event that it would, it doesn't mean that you would expect your your life to be over, but your life would have to be rebuilt um, in a different direction than you were otherwise going to go. Like you, you can't be, a, you're no longer going to get the invitations to, to apply to be a bishop. You know, you're no longer going to, you know, you can't be a rector anymore, son. I mean, these type things are expected when you make a calculated misjudgment, even under the best intentions, because that's, and that's what happened. And that's, you know, if we're being charitable, Perhaps that would that's what happened. But it was hard to believe as the months turned into years that this was just a charitable misunderstanding of very complicated subject, which is kind of what the Atlantic person wants to do, particularly when we saw all of the footage coming out from the way that it was, you know, uh, all these parties that the the leaders were having without masks, you know, all of the, the the various questions about vaccination from from the people who were forcing all the others to get vaccinated. I mean, you know, when that started coming out on top of all of the various 
people that had just got it and then recovered and, and, and it was very hard to start to keep believing the goodwill that they were asking us to give them, particularly within the church. And again, that's where it turned in, Matt. I think you're exactly right to, it was almost, it was almost a uh, public spectacle of just, uh, you know, sort of was, was what we talked about when we talked, we should go back. We'll link to all the various um, uh, shows we did during, during the height of this, but it was sort of a, a public virtue signal seen around the world. If someone commented on one of my in my threads with a, either Facebook profile picture or Twitter profile picture with the mask on, I knew exactly what kind of comment it was going to be. It was it was almost certainly the the people who did who did who took their at least toward the end who still had their photos with with their masks that that that's a woke person who's who's signaling to the rest of the woke people that did their woke. Right? Well, now so, the mask has just switched to pronouns. You know, yeah, now right, it's, right, you know, right, right, and right. a Ukraine flag. So right, it's, right. Um, <laughs> the thing about the Atlantic article that stood out to me was the claim that all this happened while we were in the dark about COVID. And I just didn't hear any of the people that we're talking about now acting like they were in the dark. There was so much certainty and surety. And this is what I, one of the things I wanted to ask you all about is that any Bible reading Christian should be very wary of their own ability to be right all the time. And one of the main things that we learn about humans and ourselves is that we are fallen and broken and turned in upon ourselves. And the only way to have compassion on other people who you think might be wrong about something is to understand that you yourself might well be wrong. That's right. And if communication like that happens, if you see others as fundamentally broken and probably wrong, and then you see yourself in the same way, then you can actually interact and say something like, I think this would be a good idea. I think this might really help you. And disconnect that from, if you want to be loving your neighbor, you must do this. Those, those are two wildly different claims. And it seems to me that they stem from a misunderstanding of one's own capability for error. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, um, you know, and we, have to be, we have to be careful because, you know, you don't, you don't want to ever say, that we can't be certain about things, or if there are certain things we can be certain about. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the shibboleths on the left left is that you you know any right. any certainty is is uh, that's right idolatry idolatry right just and, like the nuclear so, family right so you know, that includes being certain about the gospel right, right. <laughs> so you, can't be, you can't be certain about the resurrection you can't be certain about the but then there are certain, there are things we can be certain about because God reveals them um, clearly clearly to us but. Uh, that's different than saying that I have in my own self, by my own power, the ability to be to be one hundred percent correct all the time, or I'm, you know, my my intellectual capacities have not been hurt by the fall. Of course, they have, um, and we and we have to recognize that. I mean, the re- the reason we can be certain about the gospel is because the Holy Spirit has has been has been at work in us and in our minds and in our hearts to to bind us to Christ and so we have that certainty because it's been given to us um, and I think I think there's enough evidence to have conspiracy have certainty without the Holy Spirit but such as such as the status of the human heart and mind before the Holy Spirit uh, that we won't we won't come to that conclusion certainly without him so so yeah okay so I hear there's definitely some some room for epistemic <laughs> humility when it comes to to knowing things. But at the same time, you know, I, I, well, not at the same time, in, in, in addition to that, 
I think one of the interesting things happened that's happened is 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 how human certainties have fared in relationship to to divine verities. I, I told a story on Facebook and Twitter, and um, it's something actually happened. One of the the spouses of my of a parishioner, incredibly skeptical, and his wife was a believer, is a believer, and he's always been just just throwing up all kinds of arguments against the faith, uh, and in particular arguments from science, evolution, and all those things. Um, he happened to be political, politically conservative, but he's he's he was. Uh, considered himself an atheist or an agnostic well COVID hits and he he sees through it somehow he sees that the claims being made by those in the scientific medical community are flimsy and he begins to question um he seeks out you know alternative sources of news all the kinds of things you think the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists would do but the more he he delved into this, the more he realized how how easy it is for even the most well trained people to to be wrong about something as in his mind that would have been as, in his mind as clear cut and black and white as as science. That process led him to think, well, wait a minute, if if the, if if the if the assured results of the science could be wrong with regard to COVID, what about you know evolution? What about uh, what about these things that I keep resting my gender identity? On? Yeah. Right. What about what I'm, I'm resting my idea? My I'm resting my unbelief on the science. <laughs> science is, is. Yeah, it was hard not to forget through all that that these were the same the same scientific community that was advocating for gen, you know genital mutilation of yeah. boys and oh yeah I mean or, this guy was against that too. of boys and girls. I mean that's that right. that was like it was like okay. I'm not a science denier, but I deny that as science. Yeah. So I don't know how to. I'm processing even now, you know, how to how to yeah. navigate these things. Um, so all that though led to oh well, you know what? Uh, maybe maybe the the assured results of modern science are here for thirty minutes, and then then some more assured results are going to be coming. But here's this body of truth that that has stood the test of time for two thousand years, and um, he he reconsidered and. Um, and he's a believer today. Amen. Amen. Uh, came to faith in on Easter, in fact. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's uh, that's a wonderful story, man. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, that it's 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 hard for me to even back to your point, though, Nick, about the argument that they were in the dark. You know, that was part of what the pushback was. It was like, okay, because we don't know that it makes you know some of these protective and preventative measures seem to be reasonable but when they started you know shutting down everything or like you know bleaching people's you know eyeballs or whatever it was they were doing you know and because you can never be too careful it's like well you know we know enough about history to say that you can in fact be too careful like the cure can be worse than the disease and so the fact that they could claim to have been in the dark was even more of an argument and it was made from the people who were just saying listen you know, before we don't have Easter services in person in the first time in 2000 years, you know, in a worldwide church, like maybe we should be sure there's no way we could do it, you know, maybe. And that was like dismissed out of hand, you know, oh, you just want everyone to die. You know, you want a super spreader. Remember that? The super spreaders that never actually happened. And so that's where, you know, I want to be gracious and I want to appreciate the fact that we, there was a fog, you know, uh, that there was a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear. 
But at the same time, you know, there were mistakes, huge mistakes made that in some cases permanently um, injured people, uh, permanently, uh, you know, ended people's uh, careers, you know, their gyms and restaurants and bars and um, small family stores that will never come back because they had to shut down. They were living and, you know, out in the rural areas that, 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 you know, turns out it wasn't very dangerous out there anyway and, and, and. And, you know, I don't know what we do about all of that, except to say we can't just forgive and forget, uh, or at least we could forgive, but not until there was some some genuine recognition that at the very least some mistakes were made, you know, just not by me. I mean, as the old saying goes, well, uh, but I do think, you know, whatever happens in the political realm, um, you know, that's one thing. But I think within the church, uh, people should be very much more wary in the future of how their conscience can be shamed. You know, this is what our article six and 20 are about. Like, if you can't show me from the Bible that this is where you can bind my conscience with respect to the actual revealed word of God, well, then I can hear you, but I don't have to obey you. And I certainly don't have to internalize that as a, thus says the Lord. And so, you know, I can love my neighbor in a variety of ways, but being forced me to, to do X, Y, Z um, above and beyond what his law has revealed well, we reject that just like Jesus rejected those laws of the Pharisees. And just like we did, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, I was grateful for you guys to help us walk through these things. And I hope that on the other side of this, that Christians who had been overly burdened will find churches where they can be, have their burdens relieved, uh, removed, um, and join a community like you were describing, Matt. Like I think we all walk through with our own churches where the actual law of God is preached uh, to bind the conscience where it should, uh, but the freedom of a Christian is actually uh, given to um, the believer through the gospel to allow them to um, walk as responsible parties uh, for themselves and those they love this side of heaven, um, as they should have been doing all throughout the pandemic. Maybe it's worth closing on the idea that to confess and repent is not an occasion for scorn and sorrow but an occasion for rejoicing we we repent and then we immediately celebrate with each other in church and and the same is true for those who might repent in public life we are by god's grace quick to forgive that's what this whole thing is founded on repentance confession and forgiveness um well that's all the time that we have for this week thank you for listening to stand firm if you want to keep the conversation going you can be in touch with us Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Standing firm.